Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning again, Inspire Church. Wow, what can I say? August has been an incredible time of uh, refreshing, incredible time of actively waiting, if you could remember, uh, from the very first Unstoppable series and all the way through, talking about fatigue, talking about our new norm. Uh, So many things have gone on during this Unstoppable series. I hope you are encouraged. I hope you are refreshed. I hope this doesn't have, this just hasn't been a series of sermons for you, but that it's really been a, a life shift and change during this time. I'm so thankful for the Katinas. Haven't they been amazing? In fact, if you're watching right now and you've been blessed by the Katinas, uh, will you just give us a thumbs up, a like? Why don't you just take a moment to write in the comment section just how much they've blessed you. Worship team, I know they've blessed you so much. Just so honored uh, that they would be with us in this time. And I think my biggest hope is that you are feeling refreshed. You are feeling encouraged. You are ready to move forward in the God-given vision that he has given the church, not just as an organization, but you as an individual moving forward in the fall. I am so refreshed. I feel so renewed just by the thought of what God is doing and going to do. And in fact, The sermon that I'm about to preach right now, our our final installment, we've been here now for five weeks. This is week six. We've been blessed by the book of Acts. The message that I'm about to preach to you today to finish this series off is very near and dear to me because uh, God really used this sermon during, uh, while I was preparing it, to really breathe forth the vision that we are now about to step into uh, in Inspired Church. And so uh, will you turn with me to Acts chapter eight and we are gonna read verses one through six together. Acts chapter eight, verses one through six. The scripture reads like this. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And I wanna stop there and I want you to listen to this. What was meant to destroy the church deployed the church, and they became 
unstoppable. And, and this has been my prayer for Inspire Church this entire month. I, I pray that our church would be inspired by the early church's response to opposition, that we would be inspired by the early church's response to adversity as we face our own challenging times in this season. That is what unstoppable has been all about. And, and that is what my prayer was when I started the sermon series five weeks ago, six weeks ago, and that is what my prayer remains today as we finish this series and now we enter into the fall with a fresh, clear vision on what God has for us and how we will be unstoppable. And so I want to pray and then I want to waste no time and jump into this text. Father, you have been so good to us in August and now as we enter into September, you are faithful to renew us, to reset us, to refresh us, and then to move us in the power of your spirit into what you would have for us in this next time. I thank you for everything you've done in August. I thank you for all of the words that you have spoken and brought through Pastor Roger and myself during this unstoppable series. And now I pray, Lord God, that you would catapult us. <laughs> you would push us out and move us forward like never before. God, I love you. I thank you for your word. I pray for everyone listening to my voice watching today that you would inspire and catapult them into this season. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, from our text today, I, I want to make three observations. And then from those observations, I want to draw out two lessons for us as we bring this series to an end. And so let me share with you the two observations ahead of time. Observation number one is great adversity. Observation number two is greater obedience. And I, I believe I said two observations, but it's three observations. Observation number three is unlikely heroes. Again, great adversity, greater obedience, and unlikely heroes. Let's talk about great adversity. In the opening lines of chapter eight, we are told great persecution arose against the church. Suddenly, like without warning, the entire body of Christ was thrusted into an unprecedented time of great adversity. So let me kind of paint that picture for you so you can kind of see what they were going through. In chapter 7, the chapter previous to what I just read, the church had just experienced the gruesome death of one of its own. You see, men gathered together in a mob. They picked up stones and they pelted to death a man by the name of Stephen. What was his crime? His crime was that he was full of the Holy Spirit and 
preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, now the logic of these men, and actually what made it worse was that these men that, that, that stoned Stephen were sanctioned by the authorities. And the logic behind this stoning was that if death is the ultimate silencer, this would surely shut the church up. Now, now I, I want you to see this. this. This wasn't the first time that the church had faced persecution. In fact, the apostles had been beaten, they had been jailed, they had been warned not to speak the name of Jesus. In fact, one of my favorite responses, like they had an unstoppable response when the apostles were brought before the authorities and they were beaten and warned not to preach the name of Jesus. I love how they responded in Acts 5, 29. It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. But, but here's what I want you to see. Up to chapter seven, only the apostles had experienced persecution. And, and nobody had died yet. But, but now, uh, in chapter seven, we see a record of the very first execution for the sake of the gospel. And, and it's not an apostle who is killed, but it's a faithful member of the body of Christ. So, so chapter eight represents a major shift in the history of the early church. It, it marks the beginning, watch, of a ferocious campaign uh, uh, waged not just against the apostles, but against every member of the body of Christ. And I'm gonna tell you why that is so significant. Uh, uh, the true test of the credibility of the gospel in any church is not just how its leaders respond to turbulent times, but how its members respond when tested and pressed. I want to say that again. The true test of the, of the gospel credibility of a church is not just how the leaders respond when they are tested and, and when they go through turbulent times, but a true test of the gospel potency of a church is how its members respond to turbulent times. And let me just tell you, the members of the early church, they, they were tested. In verse three, we're told that Saul ravaged the church. This word ravage actually does not appear anywhere else in the Greek New Testament. Like Luke uses that word here and nowhere else. It, it, it paints a picture uh, of a wild beast, like ripping apart and shredding to pieces its prey. In verse three, we're also told that, that they went, the authorities went house to house, searching for Christians, dragging men and women out of their homes and into prison. This, this sounds like the Gestapo from Nazi Germany. They, they bursted into homes, dragged them out in front of their neighbors. They confiscated their property, threw them into prison. I'm not even sure what they did with their children. But what was meant to shred the church served the church. What, what was intended to silence them, scattered them, and what was meant to destroy the church, deployed the church. They were becoming unstoppable. 
And we go from great adversity to greater obedience. I want you to look with me back at verse four. Scripture says, those who scattered went about preaching the word. This is what an unstoppable church does. It responds to great adversity with an even greater obedience. Picture this. Scattered Christians left Jerusalem, escaping to the districts of Judea and Samaria. Now watch, in a hurry, they, they, they left everything behind, only taking the things that they could carry with them. They left family, they left friends, they, they left church. Uh, they didn't know if they'd ever see each other again, right? There was no cell phones, right? There was no social media, no Facebook Live so that they can watch sermons online. But here's the thing, while fleeing for their lives, they still made time to talk about Jesus everywhere they went. Guys, what a picture of the church. While fleeing for their lives, they still were on mission. They were accidental missionaries, scattered and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, we're, we're not talking about well-trained evangelists, right? right? We're not talking about apostles and, and pastors. We're talking about accidental missionaries who remained on mission regardless of how difficult or threatening the circumstances became. Now this is really key, and I, I kind of want you to see this larger context. You see, up to this point in the book of Acts, chapters one through seven had all taken place in Jerusalem. The church had not moved. But here in chapter eight, what was once stationary, <laughs> what was once comfortable, uh, uh, all of a sudden had no choice but to get up and to break out and to go. And, and now we see the gospel breaking outside of the walls of Jerusalem and breaking into Judea and Samaria and even the ends of the earth. And Luke illustrates this movement by, by telling us a story about another member of the church named Philip. If you look at Acts chapter eight, I, I read you the first five verses, but the rest of the chapter will actually tell you about a man named Philip. And obviously, I like this guy a lot. And so in the next several verses, Philip will not only, listen, convert an entire Samaritan city to Christ, but he'll also convert and baptize an Ethiopian eunuch who was journeying on his way back to Africa. Philip will supernaturally meet up with an Ethiopian eunuch who is reading the scriptures in Isaiah. Philip will translate to the Ethiopian eunuch these scriptures, this scripture that you're reading, I'm gonna tell you who it's talking about. It's talking about Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch will give his life to Christ. He'll be baptized. He will be sent back to Ethiopia. He serves in the royal a party of Candace the queen. In fact, Ethiopian Christians can trace back their movement to this eunuch who was ministered to by a man who was on the run named Philip. 
What is Luke telling us here? What, what is he trying to convey to us? Well, well, do you remember the command of, of Christ given back in Acts uh, chapter one? Jesus told the church, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses and watch to Jerusalem check to Judea check to Samaria check and to the ends of the earth check great (laughs) adversity launches God's people into an even greater obedience what was meant to destroy the church deployed the church and they became unstoppable. I love this. You see what's happening here. You have great adversity in the form of persecution leading to greater obedience in the form of accidental, scattered missionaries. And finally, we have unlikely heroes. You see, in seasons of great, great adversity, great obedience is demonstrated by unlikely heroes in the body of Christ. Go back with me to verse one. Scripture says, they were all scattered, and then it'll tell us, except for the apostles. I love this picture. I love this picture because it's a picture of the body of Christ, the membership, scattering, running away, preaching the gospel, and a picture of the leadership or the apostles Staying, staying in place. Now, th- there's something really beautiful about this because both the apostles and, and, and the body of Christ uh, are being obedient to the call of God. As, as the body of Christ is scattered and they're preaching the gospel and we see the, the great commission actually moving, taking place, the apostles are staying in Jerusalem and bravely holding down the fort as persecution and death is upon them. And so we see a picture of some scattering, two beautiful things taking place between the leadership of the church and the membership of the church. So while the leaders stood at home base, the members scattered. This is powerful. The very first missionary movement of the church was catalyzed not by the apostles, but by the members. The very first missionary movement of the church was catalyzed by the members, not the leaders. Members like Stephen, do you remember Stephen? He only appears two times in the book of Acts and is brutally murdered for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, if, if impact was measured by mentions alone, Stephen's impact would be minuscule. But instead, his murder, his murder pushes the church out of its comfort zone and into a global mission. He not only single-handedly influences the church's mission, but he also, ready, He also influences the church's greatest missionary of all time by the man named Paul. Let me tell you something. Saul was the one who was ravaging the church. Saul would eventually become the Apostle Paul. And what Scripture tells us is that Saul was actually the one who oversaw the murder of Stephen in Acts chapter seven. In fact, scripture tells us that the men who pelted Stephen to death, they 
took off their robes. Why would they do that? Because they needed their throwing motion to be unhindered. So you take off your robes so you can throw harder so that when the rocks would hit Stephen, they would hurt and they would, they would kill Stephen. And the scripture tells us that they took their coats and they laid them at the feet of a man named Saul. Saul was overseeing this. Saul was approving this. In fact, Saul, who will later become Paul, will actually pray and and write about him thinking and recollecting that experience. Listen to what Saul will say later on in Acts 22, 19 through 21. He says, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Here it is. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Now watch what Paul says. And he said to me, Paul saying, and he said to me, God said to me, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Here's what Paul is doing. Paul is recalling when he used to persecute the church, when he used to kill the church. But he's also recalling how through that, God called him now to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Stephen had no clue that the one standing over him, approving of his death, would one day be called by God to reach the nation. Members like Stephen, Unlikely heroes. How about members like Philip? Philip, who breaks cultural barriers, even sexual barriers. Not only did he minister the gospel to an Ethiopian, but this Ethiopian was an Ethiopian eunuch. He breaks cultural barriers. He breaks ethnic barriers. He breaks sexual barriers. And, and, and Philip single-handedly brings the church, ready, into a greater level of obedience by not only converting an entire Samaritan city, but also an Ethiopian man going back to Africa. Side note, if anyone ever tells you that Christianity is a white man's religion, that is a lie from the pit of hell. We have a Middle Eastern man and an African man. And you know what I love about Philip and Stephen, these mighty men? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter six, Acts chapter six tells us that they were selected to be deacons. What does the word deacon mean? It means they were selected to wait on tables. In fact, go back and read that chapter, right? In other words, the, while the apostles devoted themselves to prayer and the study of scripture. Acts chapter 6 verse 2 tells us that Stephen and Philip were appointed to wait on tables. I love this. These two men of God who started out as hospitality captains became key figures that launched a gospel mission movement that would reach the end of the earth. I don't know if you hear me. I don't know if you're a servant on the team, if you're a member of the church, if you're a leader or a captain, what is my life and what can I do? These were hospitality captains of the early church and they were catalysts. It wasn't the apostles. It was hospitality captains that took the mission and single-handedly helped the church become obedient to the call of Christ. I love this. You ready for this? Stephen goes from a hospitality captain to the first martyr 
for the church. Philip goes from a hospitality captain later on and actually will call him an evangelist. Deacons waiting on tables. I want you to know, literally, we are here today. Inspire Church, we are here today because members like Stephen and Philip, filled with the Holy Spirit, became unstoppable in a season when great adversity tried to stop them. What was meant to destroy the church deployed the church. Great adversity, greater obedience, unlikely heroes, two lessons. Two lessons that we can learn from the early church in times of their great adversity while we face our own. Lesson number one, adversity moves the church. <laughs> adversity moves the church. I want you to think about this. What, what catalyzed this gospel movement, right? What was the, what was the thing, uh, what was the culminating event that pushed the gospel outside of Jerusalem? What was it? Was it the in-person command given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Acts 1? Uh, was it the sheer beauty and attractiveness of the gospel of grace that sent them out? God, I can't wait to be a missionary because your word and your gospel is so beautiful. Or was it the raw power of the Holy Spirit that fell upon them in Acts chapter two? It's gotta be one of these three things. Was it, was it Jesus' command that sent them out? <laughs> was it the beauty of the gospel that just filled them up, that just made them wanna rush out and tell the world? Or, or was it the, the spirit of God that empowered them to be witnesses that fell on them in Acts two? The answer is no, no, no. Now, those things, don't get me wrong, have great parts to play, but what moved the church, what shaked the church, what brought the church into obedience, it, it wasn't power or beauty. It was the disruption and discomfort of adversity. My question for all of us, and I've been asking this question, how... Have you been allowing this adverse season, this pandemic season, to move you? I was actually talking to Paul Gentry. Some of you know him, him and his family, his wife, Melanie, they, and his son and his daughter, they, they attend Inspire and his daughters. And we were having a conversation on the phone and, and we were realizing that in this pandemic season, it's really caused some people to falter in their faith, right? I don't know if you've felt it, but there's been a temptation to take some steps back in. And as we were actually talking about that, he, he shared with me this story. And, it, and I actually asked permission, thank you, Paul, uh, if I could share this story. But it was so encouraging and so true. And, and he, he said it all started when the first couple of weeks of the shelter in place, now we've been in shelter in place, gosh, for I, I've lost count. But it all started, remember, very, very early on when things were shutting down and and he started to become frustrated because the gyms were closing. Come on, do we have anybody out there who just, you're frustrated because the gym is closed and, and, and he needed to work out. It wasn't just for his physical health, mental health, right? right? We were frustrated because our favorite gyms were closing. I know some of you do Orange Theory. All of that's being shut down. 
And so, so here's what he did. Like, instead of not just going to the gym anymore, he decided to create a space in his home to work out during this time. And, and although he realized that nothing could beat the accountability of, of actually physically going to the gym, he, he wanted to say physically fit, and so he created a purposeful space in his home, right? He went online and did some shopping, got the necessary exercise equipment to make sure that the space he created in his home would help him continue to practice the discipline of working out. And he told me that as he was doing all these things, it actually began to convict him because although he was working to create a space in his home for a gym, he had found himself not doing the same for the word of God or even church online. And he was challenged and we challenged each other on the phone that day. Hear me out. I, I heard a pastor say something. In fact, I've heard a lot of leaders say in, in light of this crazy season, with all that's been going on, I heard somebody say this and it really stuck to my head. Actually, I heard a few leaders say this. You really can't tell just by knowing someone how rooted in Christ they really are. You, you can only tell when the winds come, the, the storms blow, and they get knocked over. And he said that that knocking over will either be a catalyst for God to make them better or for God to expose them for not being rooted in Christ at all. What? Are you learning? What have you been learning in terms of your rootedness in Christ during this pandemic season? And, and how can you use what you've learned about yourself in this time to deploy you and not destroy you? Lesson number two. I want to conclude with this final lesson from the church. And, and, and this word is for inspire. In fact, this word right here actually is what really catapulted us into the fall and what we'll, we will be living on as a church on offense during this time. This is part of the vision that God had given me and my heart for the church and given the team. Here's the final lesson, ready? Adversity decentralized the church. It decentralized the church. What, what do I mean by that? Persecution scattered them and in their scattering, right, in their decentralizing, Scripture tells us that the apostles, they stood in Jerusalem while members of the church like Philip went throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and throughout this entire Unstoppable series, I'm actually just going to bring up some things that we have been listing, but, but, but if we're being honest, we can become so dependent on, on Sunday morning programs and, and the pastoral staff to do the heavy lifting of ministry that, that when a disruption takes place, we, we stop growing, we stop discipling, we stop sharing the gospel. And sometimes in God's sovereign providence, right, it takes persecution or even a global pandemic to begin to awaken the ministry of the membership again. I've heard stories of people falling back in this time, but I also have experienced stories that are taking steps forward, people moving forward in the gospel. Stories like Paul's wife, Melanie Gentry, who started a prayer group and has been praying faithfully with five to six women from Inspired Church every Thursday 
on Zoom since the shelter in place. How about stories of married couples from Inspire like Andy and Tiana, Marvin and Priscilla, Billy and Brenda who determined to grow together in this time. So what did they do? Uh, they started a book club and spent 11 weeks on Zoom going over a book called A Praying Life, challenging them to grow deeper in prayer while sheltered in place. Stories like our brother Ruben Villa who admit he's not too tech savvy, right? But in this time he's learned to navigate Zoom and in this season he's been discipling five men on Zoom online every week. Or how about this story, Billy Marshall, I love this, who's been challenged in this time to speak out against injustice and in the midst of racial tensions and a global pandemic, he's found his voice and a calling, not just as a black man, but as a Christian black man. He's been asked to co-chair a resource group for his large company and be a voice to help educate and bring awareness to and resource this corporation on how to best serve those who have been marginalized. I mean, I've been inspired in this time. I was having a conversation with another senior pastor and he was telling me his favorite part about this pandemic. I don't you know, up until that point, I don't think I had a favorite part, to be honest. But this is what he said. He said, you know, as a pastor, and he's, it's a huge church. They have about four services, five services on Sundays. And he says, you know, when there wasn't a pandemic, Sundays were just, I would preach five sermons, I would come home and I would just collapse. And he said, what's been really cool is that now he doesn't have to preach on Sundays. And I'm not saying I want it to stay this way, but he said he's been able to preach, he, he actually doesn't have to preach on Sunday. So he gets to wake up on Sundays to get his coffee, he gets to sit down with his family and go to church together. But here's the beautiful thing, the thing that inspired me. He says, you know what, Philip? here's the best thing that has happened now that I don't have to preach on Sundays. I can wake up. He says, I take my kids into the room and I lead them through Sunday school class. I get to lead my kids. He goes, I lead a congregation in the scriptures every Sunday. He goes, but during this time, I've been able to lead my children in the scriptures, discipling and pastoring them. And that, that hit me. You know what happened? I heard that story. And now it's about eight weeks ago since I heard that story. Maybe nine weeks ago I heard that story. And every Sunday, I wake up, I go into the room, I go online to inspirechurches.com, I open up the kids' ministry resources that our kids' ministry team has done such a great job of producing, I study it for myself, I take notes, and then my son, he wakes up and he comes into that room in my office, and my office turns into a Sunday school class. We play games and I preach the gospel to him. And then, after that, he gets to sit in with his friends on the kids' Zoom, and it gets reinforced. And it's become such an amazing time, a time of inspiration for me. And I want you to notice, aside from me, none of the other people that I mentioned, right, none of the men and women that I mentioned to you carry an official title at Inspire. <laughs> none of these groups were, were, were developed by Inspire, right, right? But, but all of these groups were started out of a genuine desire to stay hungry, stay connected, to stay committed to Christ, even while Sunday had been shut down. Listen, Inspire family, please listen closely. We are not being destroyed, we're being deployed. 
We're going to come out of this healthier and stronger. And here's what I'm praying right now. More small groups at Inspire this September than ever before. More discipleship at Inspire this fall than ever before. More ministry of the membership at Inspire this fall than ever before. And here's what I especially feel the Lord's leading. More gospel witnesses and more souls saved at Inspire in this next year than in the past four years combined. How are we gonna do this? God is calling us to become unstoppable because his Holy Spirit and the power of his Holy Spirit, we are a church that has been deployed and not destroyed. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I'm so grateful for these last six weeks. I'm so grateful for your word, through your scriptures, through your church. I pray that as we enter into this next season of our church, I pray not just the leaders, not just the pastors, not just the coaches, but I pray every single member of Inspire Church would be inspired to be deployed and not destroyed. You are doing a new thing. You are doing a great thing. And in the midst of great adversity, we are moving in greater obedience. And you are birthing out of the church unlikely heroes. So Father, I just pray that you would continue to use this church for your honor, for your glory. You would use us to disciple others and to bring others to Christ because you are worthy. God, we're unstoppable because you're unstoppable. We're unstoppable because your gospel is triumphant and unstoppable. So I just pray you would anoint us as we move forward in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.